Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, it hasn't been the last couple of weeks I've opened uh, talking about how hectic and intense uh, the week in Israel, politically, diplomatically, security-wise, etc., has been. This week has been certainly a little bit less, partly because we had the holiday of Purim, um, which in Israel is almost two days. There's one day which most of the country celebrates, and there's another day which just Jerusalem celebrates. But obviously, Jerusalem is the capital city. Um, it obviously has an Im impact and effect on the rest of the country. So we've had a bit of a hiatus, a little bit with um, some of the intensity, but still behind the scenes, things are moving pretty quickly. Um, the, the, the title of this week's webinar was about the coalition, about whether it can survive, um, because quite simply for a, a, a relatively ideologically aligned government, uh, they've certainly hit a lot of bumps in the road already. Um, you know, uh, going into the elections, this was billed as what in Hebrew is Yamin uh, Male, which means a full uh, right wing, in other words, very right wing, um, and all the parties that make up the government for the first time in many years are all right wing, um, and in fact, apart from the could, are all religious parties. So you would think that there's a certain ideological conformity which would have allowed a certain amount of stability, and as many of the proponents of this coalition predicted, to live out its days. It's not going to live out its days. No government in the history of the state of Israel ever has, and this will not um, uh, be uh, the exception. Uh, in fact, I would predict that the government as it is probably will not be uh, as it is today in a couple of years even, let alone maybe even sooner. Anyway, but going into some of the issues, as I said, it was predicted, and it probably is the most right-wing government ever, but it's also the most demanding. And as we've spoken about uh, in previous weeks or previous months or even previous coalitions, in this one, certainly uh, Netanyahu is probably one of the most moderate voices uh, within it. He's also uh, the most risk-averse. If anyone who has studied Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu's governments in the past, He's not one to make major strides on various issues. You know, it took him quite a number of years. People like to point out that it took uh, Netanyahu many, many years to order any sort of significant or ground invasion of uh, Gaza after repeated attacks from there. Um, on Iran, uh, the talk was always of military action and putting on the table. But according to Ehud Barak, at least, when the option was put on the table, it was not taken up, uh, and on various other uh, issues. Netanyahu is certainly a proponent of a stable government, a government which doesn't make too many jarring moves in any direction, or at least moves slower, let's say, uh, and likes to factor in um, all the details, whether they are domestic, political, diplomatic, economic, etc. 
Um, so this government is far from ideal, uh, from, I would argue, Netanyahu's point of view, or at least the way it has been, because there isn't this. Sometimes you, you get a bit of quiet, you get a bit of a cushion at the beginning of a coalition where everyone beds in, everyone looks around and tries to make sure that there's no crises. Uh, if there are differences of opinion, they play out behind uh, closed doors, do not play out in the public. Well, this has certainly not been that from the first day. There's been clashes in this coalition, uh, largely because, as I said, it's pretty demanding. You have two or even three uh, right wing religious parties which are extremely ideological. Um, and, you know, they have issues which they have talked about from outside the government. Sometimes in the case of the Talos inside the government um, that are very important to them, which are certainly things that Netanyahu is getting called regularly from the international community from day one, whether it is Jewish rights to prayer on the Temple Mount, whether it is the building of um, Israeli towns and cities called settlements in Judea and Samaria, known around the world as the West Bank. Um, or even uh, where, the, where they sort of meet with the ultra-Orthodox uh, parties on the right of reform or conservative or uh, non-Orthodox elements in Israel, the Kotel, the Kotel uh, plan being uh, the most prominent of those issues. Um, these are things which certainly put uh, Netanyahu at, and, and the government as a whole at loggerheads with the international community. What we've seen really is uh, it come to a head, uh, you know, in the next few days when Betalov Smotrich, the Minister of Finance, one of the top positions in the Israeli government, usually the three top positions in any Israeli government are foreign, defense and finance minister. And the finance minister will travel to uh, to the US, as every finance, finance minister does, to attend the Israel bonds event, uh, where I'm sure he'll be speaking. Um, but what is most remarkable and certainly uh, I, I believe unprecedented is that he will not have a single meeting with any uh, American officials. In fact, it has now been reported that there'll be no American officials in attendance at the Israel bonds event, which is also uh, pretty remarkable. Uh, it's been reported that Batal Smotrich will travel for about 10 days, uh, but it's unclear exactly what he's going to do and who he's going to meet, because there's a lot of uproar about his visit. Uh, there's been uh, petitions by more left-wing uh, elements in the Jewish community in America to boycott him. And there was even talk, uh, although I believe it was just that, um, to even uh, reconsider whether Batalo Smotrich should even be allowed in, into America. This comes in the backdrop of Smotrich's comments, where he said um, Harara, the, the town, the Palestinian town, uh, where there was a, uh, a, a murder of two brothers uh, a week ago. And then, uh, as, as we know, some of the local uh, uh, settlers from the Israeli towns went and uh, rioted in the town. And, and he was asked a question what he thought about it. And he said, in, in, in his opinion, it should be wiped out. He walked back those comments. He said he regretted them. Uh, he does not believe that, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that was largely because of the pressure placed on Netanyahu by the Americans. They, they spoke you know, of outrage, of, uh, you know, disturbing, disgusting comments, et cetera, et cetera. So, but there's been quite a lot of that. We've seen uh, from the beginning of the, the this government, uh, quite a lot of Netanyahu needing to sort of walk back some of the comments, trying to dampen uh, the anger of, of other officials, whether it was 
Itar Ben Kabir going up on the Temple Mount, or these comments, or some others that have got out. Obviously, uh, the judicial reform issue is also one that he has to explain to his international uh, counterparts uh, quite a lot. Um, but what is also that that's sort of was facing inwards, we have Netanyahu really trying to uh, keep order within uh, his government. And we've seen there's quite a lot of issues which have outraged his more right-wing members, whether it is not removing Khan al-Akhmar, that is a tiny uh, Palestinian, it's no more than a few shacks, but it's in a very strategic, important place just outside Jerusalem on the way to Maladimim. Successive governments have promised to demolish it, uh, interestingly, the, the Supreme Court of Israel has allowed to because it said it was illegally built and it has no right to be there and it has allowed the government to demolish it, but uh, it never has been demolished despite promises to do so. And that has uh, annoyed uh, people like Heath Marvengvir and Batsalos Matrich at the same time as uh, Israeli or Jewish uh, outposts are being removed. So that uh, is obviously, of course, Problems. Then there was the problem with um, Defense Minister Gallant, who was supposed to, according to coalition agreements, give up certain powers within the Defense Ministry, again, uh, unprecedented, to Batsalos Motrich. Uh, it took quite a lot of back and forth, um, but there seems to be some agreement on that. But in the, the, the question is, is not what the agreement is, not what was verbally agreed, not what was in black and white, but what happens in the field, because it still seems that Smotrich does not have full control uh, over the areas which he was promised. Um, and we saw also some of these sort of uh, uh, cracks in the coalition come to a head with the meeting last week in Aqaba of uh, Israeli, Palestinian, Jordanian and American leaders, where there was an agreement of what, you know, to try and lower tensions ahead of the Ramadan, the, the holy month for, for Muslims, which unfortunately usually comes with an uptick in uh, terrorism and tensions uh, here in the region. Um, apparently, Benkvir, who is the uh, national security minister, and Smotrich, who, as we said, is the finance minister and is a minister within the defense min uh, ministry, you would think two ministers who would be very much in the loop said that they were not in the loop and actually found out about this event uh, through the media. And they certainly wouldn't agree to uh, many of the stipulations and what was agreed to, and they made that very, very clear uh, through social media, etc. Um, so the question is, what 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 happens next? Well, you know, the, the fact is that Netanyahu, despite these disagreements, despite this unease with some of his partners, still needs them to pass the judicial reform, which for him is a real foundation of being able to move forward on many, many levels, not just on what would be considered boilerplate right-wing issues, but also on other issues like getting Arya Derry back into the cabinet, which is very important, maybe uh, passing laws um, which will stifle the criminal proceedings against him, that there's quite a lot in there which Netanyahu himself would like, you know, more more at least as much as some of his partners want in the judicial reform infrastructure which is being moved forward but when all that gets passed in whatever form it is and i'll i'll, I'll get to what's happening there in a second um there is a very distinct possibility and, and i've mentioned this before and i still hear it from all quarters of the Knesset, whether the left the right the opposition the coalition that at some point, uh, Benny Gantz's National Unity Par uh, uh, Party is very much seen 
as uh, a replacement for at least some of the more extreme right-wing elements in this government. Uh, we spoke last week about uh, probably one of the closest people to Netanyahu Natan Eshel putting out a bit of a trial balloon for the media to say, you know, if we're going to compromise on this, then uh, shouldn't Gantz and Lapid be interested um, or at least move towards uh, entering the government? And the fact that such a central person to Netanyahu would say such a thing also uh, speaks to something a little bit deeper. Moving on to the proposal for judicial reform, while the Knesset uh, uh, schedule is really moving ahead, Simcha Rotman has basically packed uh, uh, his schedule as the chairman of the Knesset Law, uh, Judicial and Constitutional Committee, packed with meetings really to try and drive forward his agenda to, to get uh, as much uh, done on the judicial reform as possible before the break in the Knesset, which is April 2nd for the Pesach holiday, the Passover holiday. Uh, they've said for quite a while that they really want to pass the major, major uh, laws uh, before that. And so they're going to really need to move at not breakneck uh, speed necessarily, but a very heightened uh, speed. So uh, partly is a threat and partly because procedurally that's what he would need to do. Uh, it seems that even while there is talk of uh, talks, uh, conversations, compromises, the, the schedule for uh, the vital committee in the Knesset that will move things forward uh, is, is being driven at, at a very at a very fast uh, pace. Um, it did come out in the, in the last day or so that there is a proposal on the table for some sort of compromise by former Justice Minister Daniel Friedman and a few other people, some of them associated with the protest movement, some uh, former security officials, which would certainly um, move the needle back towards uh, the current situation, far from the current situation, because it, it would deal with all the, the different issues, whether it's the override um, or whether it's the judicial appointments, which are obviously two of the most important parts of the judicial reform. But what they are are sort of trying to see where the government is prepared to compromise. Now, what's interesting is that while this is a private initiative by certain individuals, uh, judicial experts, et cetera, et cetera, it has not been embraced, at least publicly, by the leaders of the opposition. The leaders of the opposition have said they are absolutely unacceptable. They go far too far towards the government position. The government, on the other hand, has actually embraced them a lot more. Um, one of the people very close to um, Netanyahu, the cabinet secretary, uh, Fuchs, basically said it's a very useful jumping off point uh, for talks, but as is, is still too far from <coughs> our positions. But it's clear that the government, at least Netanyahu's circle, does want some level of compromise. He's certainly not happy with what he's hearing from uh, multiple, uh, you know, uh, banks, from uh, unicorn high-tech companies who are removing their money from uh, very senior um, or even rank-and-file soldiers who said that they are they will refuse orders to be conscripted or to do the annual uh, when they serve the army uh, every year and it is really getting out of hand a little bit to Netanyahu certainly although he's not allowed to uh, because of his uh, interests in the in the uh, in the the criminal the justice system because of his criminal proceedings he's legally not allowed to get involved but it's clear behind the scenes 
He is trying to slow the process down, trying to listen to voices, has been meeting with the president and is open at least to some sort of uh, compromise. What we are going to see tomorrow is another day of anger, of shutdowns. There's talk of shutting down the airport. Tomorrow, Prime Minister Netanyahu flies up to Italy for the weekend. And there's talk of shutting down the airport for as much as possible. Uh, it probably won't affect uh, Netanyahu because he obviously has access to a helicopter which can fly him straight into the uh, airport and over the heads of those who will block the roads. But it's clear that it's going to be another day of what the protesters called shutdown in Israel, where they will shut down various uh, arteries around the country. As I said, the airport is uh, is going to be one of them. The main Ayalon highway uh, in and out of Tel Aviv uh, was the scene uh, last week of, of quite uh, intense, I wouldn't say violence. There was a certain amount of violence and there were a certain amount of injuries. Um, but it's clear that you know the, the, the protest movement is is not interested at this point in, in stepping back. It's really trying to push uh, full ahead. And finally, because of that, it's having an effect also on Israel's uh, dip uh, diplomatic and security uh, uh, relations because US Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is supposed to come in tonight uh, to Israel and then leave tomorrow. In the end, he's coming in tomorrow and he's going to have a briefing at a place very, very near the airport. Now, obviously no one in the government is saying this because of a protest, but it's clear that these sort of briefings, these sort of meetings do not take place uh, where they are scheduled to take place. So uh, they are having an impact, the protests. Um, it just remains to be seen exactly um, what will happen because there is interest to climb down a little bit from the government, but how far they'll go and whether this will be accepted, not just from the opposition benches, but also from the protest movement uh, as a whole. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. No, all right. Thank you so much. So the first one we have is from Elaine and Kenneth Leiter. Uh, is the U.S. State Department involved in the organizing and financing of the current demonstrations against the ju judicial reforms? Well, there's no suggestions um, that they are, and I would highly doubt that they are. Um, there's certainly, as in most protest movements, whether on the left or the right, there is some foreign funding, but it's usually NGO, it's usually private individuals. It's clear that there's some funding going on the protest movement, uh, but I would certainly, I've never seen any suggestion and I, I don't think it, uh, it's really uh, possible, even if, if, even if there was, to find such things of any US uh, State Department involvement. Thank you. Uh, Stuart Broad actually comments on that, uh, the NGO part. Uh, good evening, Mr. Perry. I dare say that only a tiny percentage of Americans, including American Jews, have any knowledge or appreciation of Prime Minister Netanyahu's pragmatic and cautious approach to the uh, critical issues confronting Israel. Uh, there seems to be just below the surface an important component of NGO action against Netanyahu and Israel itself coming from the left-wing NGOs in the U.S., uh, with tacit support by the Biden administration and the Democrats. Do you agree? Well, that's, quite, that's quite a lot to agree or disagree to, but I'll, I'll try and I'll try and uh, deal with some of the elements. I mean, there is a lot of money that comes in abroad for all sorts of elements, whether it's left wing or even right wing. You know, a lot of uh, settlements are built uh, with foreign funding, a lot of right wing organizations. But obviously, the left wing is far more funded. And that's why in previous years or in previous governments, there's been a lot of attempts by the right wing 
to try and pass legislation, if not necessary to limit this funding, to at least make it more uh, open and transparent. Um, there has been some success there, but there's always ways around it. And there's not really that much interest amongst the rank and file Israelis exactly where the money comes from, um, at least to a certain extent. Again, it's something which uh, rails the right far more than, than the left. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if, if you look at the composition of American Jewry, the vast majority are on the left, uh, vote Democrats, are progressive, religiously, politically. So it makes sense that, uh, that they would also be more uh, interested to fund move, movements uh, that fit their worldview. Um, there are obviously prominent uh, Jews on the left and the right, which, will, which are funding constantly uh, the issues which um, most matter to them. But I, I don't think there's any particular sort of um, conspiracy um, of, you know, of people getting together. I'm sure there are elements within the Democratic Party which are very happy with what's going on, would like to see greater involvement, um, and perhaps are cheering it on on the sidelines, as we've seen. And the fact that, as I said, a very senior Israeli minister is coming into the U.S., in the coming days and will not be met by a single um, senior official in the US, again, is pretty unprecedented. And I think in there is not so much to send a message to the minister himself, but it's trying to send a message to Israelis that this, you know, we do not accept this. Uh, we do not accept these positions, these ideologies, these statements. Um, and so if you care about the relationship between America and Israel, these are not the sort of people you should be voting for. I think that's the probably the message that the Americans are trying to get across. Thank you. Jack Berkowitz says, uh, putting aside the necessity of judicial reform for now, do you believe that Prime Minister Netanyahu is starting to regret that this matter was placed on the agenda first and foremost, rather than having waited for a more strategic opportunity? Well, there's a, there's a number of elements here. First of all, it got I, I believe it's got away from him. Uh, the people who are leading this are Yuri Levine, the Justice Minister, and Simcha Waterman, as we spoke about, and they are very passionate about this. This, for them, is something, especially Simcha Waterman, he's written books about this, he started an NGO about this. I've spoken to him many, many occasions. He is deeply passionate and believes in the righteousness of this reform, um, and he is gung-ho, he will move uh, ahead uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, what we are hearing is that Netanyahu is trying to slow things down, at least with Yeriv Levine, because Yeriv Levine is probably, arguably, the more moderate of the two, um, and also the more powerful of the two, even though Simcha Rotman, as I said, he has his hands on the most important committee in the Knesset uh, for these issues, and he's moving you know, full steam ahead. Um, probably what he does regret is the antagonism towards it, perhaps, it could have been done in a quieter way. Although, uh, at the end of the day, you know what 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 happens in the Knesset usually isn't felt by the people. But the protest movements and the opposition, who which is supportive of that, uh, has done a very good job in caricaturizing uh, what the, the the judicial reform is anti democratic, authoritarian. Uh, you know, moving us towards dictatorship. All these sort of buzzwords which we're hearing and seeing all day. And again, I would argue that 95% of Israelis, wherever they come down on the political ideological map, probably don't understand or know the exact issues and debating on it. So it's now, you know, sort of branded as 
are you a Democrat? Then you support the protests against him if you're anti-democratic. So probably he would, I, I would suggest that Netanyahu is a, is a very strong communicator, is a, a great strategist, a political strategist, probably regrets the way that this has been branded, especially as it is being, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, demonstrated around the world. Um, I'm sure he would probably prefer to have got out a little bit ahead and tried to explain it in slightly different language and make sure that the the voices of the opposition were not the only ones out there. Because at the moment, the government, the coalition is doing a pretty poor job of explaining their, their viewpoint uh, in contradistinction to these loud noises, which we hear daily on our screens, uh, on the streets, that this is about, uh, you know, the soul of Israel's soul, the future of Israel's uh, democracy, which clearly it's quite extreme. But again, you know, to, to, to anyone who runs a campaign, you need to uh, you, you need to talk about, you know, what is the perception rather than the reality. And the perception is that Israel, as a former um, Treasury Secretary in the US said on Israeli TV today, that Israel is on the edge of a cliff. Uh, and it's you know, it could get to a situation where it will take actions where it will just not be able to recover from. I think that's a little bit extreme, um, personally, um, but that is what is being said, you know, and stated again on our screens, on our streets, etc. Thank you so much. And going back to our first question about the State Department, uh, Mr. Pipe sent over a article. I have not had a chance to read it yet, but it does look like the State Department has funded left-wing groups behind protests against uh, Netanyahu. Okay, uh, <laughs> just fun fact. It's possible. It's possible yeah. indirectly. I uh, in the past, in the past, certainly there are. Yeah, I should correct myself. Is there an intention specifically to fund uh, these organizations? I think, first of all, I think this has happened so quickly, but certainly the State Department, as many foreign ministries around the world have and are funding left-wing Israeli organizations, and some of those Israeli organizations are involved, usually those who are more left-wing on the political and diplomatic agenda, vis-a-vis -vis the Palestinians, who have also got involved with, um, with these uh, protests. But I don't think that there's necessarily a causal link uh, to the funding, just because it's relatively new, uh, you know, that, 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 that's the main reason. Thank you so much. Uh, Rod Margolis asks, uh, what is your prediction on how long the current government will last? As I said, I, I'd be very surprised if the government in its in its current form will continue. Certainly it, it won't, it won't, you know, uh, end its days. Uh, as I said, no Israeli government has, and this isn't going to be <clears throat> the exception, certainly with all the noise. As I've said, you know, the governments which last the longest usually have a good two years of calm. And I don't think we've seen two weeks of calm uh, in this government. So I don't think that really uh, speaks too much. Uh, and as I said, the fact that everybody, not everybody, but many people uh, in the Knesset, on the left and the right coalition opposition, all talk about a time clock where Benny Gantz will come in, shows that there's something to it. And the fact that Again, we've seen in the actions, and I didn't even talk uh, about, again, the budget, which is supposed to be coming out, which there's still no formal agreement because of the excessive demands of pretty much every minister in the government. You know, they all want 
um, to have their portion. They all believe that their ministry and the areas and uh, that they're working on and what what they believe in are, are essential and they need a very high budget. But at the moment, the demands are far greater than what's actually available. Um, and the fact that there was no agreement at this stage even uh, on the initial budget presentation also does not uh, speak uh, so well to the longevity of this government. Thank you so much. Uh, Ken Miller asked, actually, this was last week and I kept it, um, but he said, with the change of the execution law for terrorists, what do you believe the international reaction will be following the first actual execution, assuming that it's uh, fully passed? Uh, and Barack Korkmaz uh, follows up with, does this move feed the apartheid claim on Israel? Having the death penalty? I mean, there are other nations around the world, including the US, which have the death penalty. And I don't think that's necessarily uh, anything to do with apartheid. Uh, will it feed into the anti-Israel agenda? Well, pretty much anything feeds into when Israel has an L the largest LGBTQ uh, parade in the whole Middle East, it's seen as, you know, uh, what, what's it called? Pinkwashing. So anything Israel does will, you know, uh, those who want to find it, that will feed into that narrative that Israel is racist, Nazi, apartheid, etc. You know, nothing good or nothing bad um, will ever sort of change those minds. Um, the death penalty for terrorists, again, I would stress that today it is possible for a terrorist to receive the death penalty, it's just never happened. It has to be a unanimous uh, decision by a bench. The full bench has to unanimously agree to it, and it simply never happened. On a few occasions, there has been uh, there's, there's been some dissenting opinions which believe certain ghastly and gruesome mass murders by terrorists do deserve the death penalty, but the majority won out in all of these situations. I believe, and I'm not 100% sure I haven't seen the text itself, but I know from previous attempts, that, there, that the difference is to basically uh, make the majority smaller. Uh, so there can be, you know, you don't need, or, or, or just to make it majority rather than unanimous uh, decision. Um, and that would allow for certain, if, if we look back in history, then there would only be a few who would actually meet those criteria. It could be that once this law is passed, maybe the justices themselves would be more averse to finding uh, someone applicable for the death penalty. Um, so it, it, it's it's very hard to say what the reaction will be because we're so far from even passing the law, uh, let alone actually initiating the first terrorist who will meet the, the criteria of the death penalty. So I think it's a little bit premature to talk about that. Thank you so much. So we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you for taking time to update us this week. Thank you. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Benjamin Weinthal discussing Iran's shifting relations with Europe. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.